Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. And today we are joined by a special guest of the show, Jim Nagy. He's the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Jim, thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, fellas, thanks for having me on tonight. Well, Jim, this was uh, quite an unprecedented year for the Senior Bowl in so many different ways. Uh, Even before the COVID-19 outbreak, you had so many changes that were going on from first we were moving the game from Lad People Stadium out to South Alabama's new Hancock-Whitney Stadium. And then, of course, you had the name change uh, for the different teams. Uh, Jim, if you could, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, the change from Lad Peebles to Hancock Whitney this year? Uh, yeah, you know, Hank, uh, I'll start by talking about Lad. You know, it served us really well for over 70 years. Uh, it was a great, great venue for us. There's a ton of history there um, going back all the way through, you know, all, all our 56 Hall of Fame players obviously played in Lad Stadium. So, um, ton of history there. I think the uh, you know it meant a lot to the Maysville community, which which meant a lot to me. Um, I, we we didn't move the game just flippantly. I think there was uh, you know there's some people in the community that that uh, you know just thought it was a foregone conclusion we'd move we'd move. Um, but you know I, I really took that seriously that how much the game meant to those people in Maysville. I did not take that lightly. Um, but you know, that being said, you know, the move out to South was just a great opportunity for us to, to grow the event and really it became more of a space issue um, mm-hmm. for us at the end. With, uh, you know, game day atmosphere, hospitality, we, we were landlocked there at LAD. And, uh, you know, just it, it just came to a situation where we felt like we could really grow the event itself, particularly on game day, uh, moving it out to South. I mean, this should really look like a college football Saturday out there next year where we can kind of get back to tailgating, which we couldn't do this year. But uh, so we're excited about those possibilities. But no, in, in speaking to, to uh, Hancock Whitney, it's uh, they couldn't have done a better job with the stadium. Joel Erdman and his people at South and whatever architect group they brought on, I mean, they knocked it out of the park. Um, our players had a great week there. It had a really good look and feel on television. I've heard that from a lot of people. Our players really enjoy the locker room facilities. Um, on an inclement weather day, it's a really easy move up right up the hill about a, about 100 yards, and we're inside an indoor facility. So it just made a lot of sense. But that being said, we, we love our new home, um, but our old home meant a lot to us as well. Well, that's good, Jim. Well, I think it's a solid move, too, overall, uh, when you take all the you know considerations into it. Um, what, did you, uh, what did you think about uh, – you know, the, the attendance you had with all the COVID issues we had. I mean, it was a sellout. I'd say it was a pretty good success based on what you could do this year. Yeah, it's all we could do, you know, and I don't want to call it a sellout because it wasn't. That's why we kind of framed it sold the capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's a real sellout, we'll feel really good about that, but it wasn't. Um, you know, it just – but in the year we had, um, we had to cut a ton of tickets um, just to get down to the 6,300 level. So, um you know, it, I mean, it felt great. There was a lot of players in this year's game that, that didn't have fans in the stands this year. I mean, my alma mater, Michigan, is the biggest stadium. The Big House is the biggest stadium in the United States. Holds 113,000 people, and they, they didn't play in front of one fan this year. So, you know, like that, it felt great to our players. Um, it was really kind of a cool moment after the game because it wasn't packed. 
we actually had some of our players climbing up into the stands and um, like KJ Britt, the linebacker from Auburn, like climbed up there and got with his linebackers coach Travis Williams after the game, which was cool. Richie Grant, who's from Fort Walton Beach, had a bunch of family there, and he climbed up to be with his family. Um, so yeah, it was it was kind of neat this year, only going to uh, you know a quarter capacity. But uh, next year, I just can't wait to see what that thing's going to look like and feel like when we're at twenty five thousand. Well, Jim, speaking of K.J. Britt, he's a guy who uh, I've always liked him a lot at Auburn. He waited his time. He didn't get to start until he was a junior, and I think he's a, he's a great leader. He sadly had that hand injury that took him out for pretty much the rest of the season, I think after the midpoint. Uh, what is he looking like in terms of his draft grade, and do you think that he made some improvements as to possibly getting drafted a little higher this week? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we, the one thing we've changed since, since I got to the game a couple of years ago is we've made these, the, you know, the player practice awards um, voted on by the players. So to me, if I'm a player, that means a heck of a lot more than, you know, some media voting on it or scouts voting on it. Like if, if I'm going to, and what we do is we have the position group they're going up against primarily during the week. So KJ was voted on by the linebackers and the offensive line from the other team, you know, from his team that he went against in practice. So um, that's a meaningful award. I mean, those are the guys going up and knocking heads with him every snap. Um, so he did a great job. I think some of the questions KJ might have had going into the week were in coverage. Um, I thought he showed up well in those areas. And then you, you point to the game. You know, there's certain position groups because we don't tackle to the ground in practice. It's really hard for running backs and backers to, like, really show themselves. And then you turn on the game and KJ is playing downhill like he always did at Auburn and making plays in the backfield. Um, made a really cool pass deflection in the red zone. Um, kind of break up a play that could have been a touchdown. So um, KJ had a really good week and, and definitely helped himself. Well, um, Jim, I know that Dan, I think, wants to ask you about some of the specific quarterbacks that were on the field on Saturday. But just in general, could you kind of give us an overview of your impression of the quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl this year? Yeah, sure. I mean, I can't get into really great specifics about the game yet because we're just trying to wrap the week up, and I haven't had a chance to get one try to tape yet. Um, and during the practice week itself, I'm my phone's blowing up through practice. Like, it's hard for me to even focus my eyes on the on the field. Um, but I can tell you what I thought of what I did see and what we thought about the guys going into the week. I think Mac Jones helped himself tremendously. Um, he kind of, you know, he hit the ground running day one sometimes like getting verbiage and spitting it out in a huddle and going under center and taking snaps. I mean, that's, that's a challenge for a lot of these guys. They've never done it before. So, um, you know, most of these quarterbacks at the college level, you know, turn to the sideline every play and some guys holding up a, a billboard with like Fred Flintstone and, you know, a Pepsi sign and something. And that's the play. So to get like a couple years ago, I remember Daniel Jones, he's got John Gruden, like spitting out like 16 words of verbiage on a play call and it was tough for him, but, but Mac did great with that. Um, from day one, he really put together three great days in practice. Um, you know, it was accurate, got his, got the ball out of his hand quick, which means he was picking it up quickly. He's got great eyes and a great brain, so that stuff all showed up during practice. And then he got, you know, unfortunately he got his, his ankle rolled up that last day, and uh, he was on the other leg that he hurt in the national championship. He had a pretty bad leg bruise, uh, bone bruise. Um, the national championship so he didn't he was on two bad wheels going into the game and he, and he couldn't play he suited up he was ready to go if uh, some of the one of the other quarterbacks went down and got hurt but uh, you know and then in the game Kellen Mond did a great job I think that he benefited from Mac being down he and uh, Jamie Newman from Wake Forest got to two full quarters of play um, Kellen kind of started out slow in the first half and really put together a great second half won the game MVP 
about Ian Book from Notre Dame. Had a great week. He was voted, you know, quarterback of the week on his team. Just showed his athleticism. Really a bouncy athlete for, for that position. Um, threw it well all week. Sam Ellinger did great. Um, so, from I mean, I really thought all those quarterbacks came down here and did a nice job. Well, Jim, which one do you think probably showed out the best? Would you say that Mac Jones is probably the one who helped himself most with his draft stock this week? I mean, I don't, it just depends on where they're at, right? I mean, so Mac's probably a late one, early two going into the week. And, you know, part of the sales pitch to Mac when I met with he and his mom and his girlfriend uh, before he committed to the game was you had a chance to jump a lot of guys. You know, you probably got three juniors that can't come to the senior bowl that, that are probably rated higher than you right now. Um, Trey Lance at North Dakota State, Zach Wilson at BYU, and, and Justin Fields at Ohio State. So, you know, he, he, he probably helped himself in terms of monetary value the most because when you're talking about that stratosphere of the draft, there's a lot of money attached to every single one of those draft slots. Um, in terms of the other guys, I mean, shoot, some of those guys can move up a whole round or two rounds and monetarily won't match what Mac made. Um, but did they help themselves? Yeah, they all, I think they all helped themselves. You know, Jim, you brought up an interesting point there. You talked about meeting with uh, Mac Jones previously before the Senior Bowl. Could you kind of tell um, our audience a little bit about, as executive director, some of the responsibilities that you have? Um, yeah, I mean, it's an all-encompassing job. You wear a lot of hats. It's very different from working in the NFL where I came from, where you're you're kind of locked into a certain role. I mean, you're going from campus to campus every day, and you're 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 watching players, you're watching tape, you're meeting with coaches, going back to the hotel, rewriting reports, filing them, and moving on to the next school. But in this job, I mean, you you know, you're the you're the face of the program, so you're doing all the media stuff, you're doing a lot of public speaking. Um, first and foremost, you're picking the roster. Um, so you know, I've built a scouting staff, which we've never had at the Senior Bowl before. Experienced NFL scouts. Um, you know, just trying to do this thing the right way. And then, uh, you know, in turn, and then Mark, you know, I, all the sponsorship stuff, all the marketing stuff, all the social media stuff, um, human resources, budgets, you name it. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this job. But uh, first and foremost, what I'm focused on is the football component, because if we don't have great players coming to Mobile, then, then none of, the rest of it doesn't even matter. Um, we need to keep bringing, you know, high quality talent down here. And that's why really proud of the last couple of years having 40 players picked in the, in the first three rounds the last two years each so um in in 93 players drafted our numbers are worked out it's crazy the same both years i've been at the game 93 total drafted 40 in the first three rounds we had 10 first rounders two years ago um so we just need to keep that football component strong um you know and then in terms of the community it's it's creating stuff like the the flag football league we have we're having a summer seven-on-seven seven for the high school kids, so there's still a lot we want to get done in the community around Mobile and Baldwin counties as well. Well, Jim, speaking about the community, uh, what do the NFL scouts and the coaches think of coming to Mobile? Do they like having the Senior Bowl here? Yeah, they love it, man. They love it. It's, uh, it's a week they all look forward to. So, you know, the NFL is a very volatile league. Uh, you get bounced around quite a bit. There's not a lot of stability, so what ends up happening is you know, you end up, you know, working with a, a group of guys for three, four, five years, and then that thing gets blown up so you don't win enough games and you move on to another team. So Mobile and the Combine are like the two opportunities you get to really reconnect with your buddies. Um, and so they love they love Mobile for that. They love the fact that it's a walkable downtown. They can stay downtown at the hotels, you know, walk down a Dolphin Street, have a good time, and, and get back at night. Um, they just love the tradition of it. You know, they love uh, – 
you know, the game's always been there. Pre scouts are real creatures of habit. You know, when I was on the road, I, I'd go to the same college town, stay in the same hotel, eat the same restaurant. So um, they love the fact that this kind of fits the routine and its tradition. And, uh, you know, we take good care of them. They also appreciate the fact that the Mobile community's invested in it. It's the one thing that's always made our All-Star game different than the others is that there's, you know, a huge community buy-in. And they, uh, they feel that when they come to town. Well, Jim, in your experience being a scout for a long time, I know he didn't play in the game, but I kind of wanted to get your opinion. Is Trevor Lawrence the best college prospect at quarterback you've ever seen? Uh, no, he's, he's not. Um, he's up there. He's a really good prospect. But, uh, you know, I, I've scouted a lot of great ones. You know, I've scouted Ben Roethlisberger, um, Andrew Locke, Russell Wilson, um, you know, on and on and on. So, no, I, I would probably say the best college quarterback I ever scouted was Andrew Locke. Okay. So who, who would Trevor Lawrence be the most similar to in terms of, like, quarterbacks you would have uh, scouted that have now gone on to success in the NFL? I mean, he's, he's similar to Justin Herbert last year. I should take him that group. I mean, I think Justin's one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen. I, I, I don't know if Trevor's to where Justin was last year, to be quite honest. Um, I think Justin's one of the most misevaluated quarterbacks in the last 25 years since I've been doing this. Um, he had everything. He had absolutely everything. And everyone, you know, what people didn't do was scout the other 10 players around him. Mm -hmm. You know, if Justin Herbert were in a place like LSU or Alabama, I mean, it's ridiculous what he would have looked like. Um, so, um, but Trevor's a great prospect. He's got everything. He's a, he, when you see him physically, which I did at the Manning camp a couple summers ago, I mean, he's prototype size. He is a great-looking kid. He's got all the dimensions. Um, he's a great athlete. Um, you know, what I really what I really liked this year was he made a nice jump from, from sophomore to junior tape. I felt like he came out, won the national championship his freshman year. I felt like he put a little pressure on himself his sophomore year. He seemed to be pressing on tape, um, kind of like Deshaun Watson did his last year at Clemson. Deshaun wasn't very, you know, wasn't great until, like, the very home stretch of his junior year there at Clemson and uh you know Trevor came back this year and he was really really good from beginning to end so um he's gonna make some team really happy he'll be he'll be you know a guy leading a team at the playoffs for the next 15 years I think that's a good point about Justin Herbert uh I went to the Auburn Oregon game last year for the first game and I mean he didn't play great throughout but some of those throws he made even when he was getting hit like 60 yard passes when he's getting hit by Marlon Davidson were really good and I saw him live at the Senior Bowl last year, and, I mean, he really does have great size, so I'm, I'm with you on that. And he did a good job for the Chargers in his first season. I mean, he had the best rookie season in NFL history for a quarterback, bottom line. I mean, you look you look at all the numbers, you look at you look at the tape. I mean, he's the best rookie quarterback in NFL history. So, um, you know, but he wasn't playing with NFL people at Oregon. He really wasn't. Um, again, put him on one of those other teams. Um and that's why he was misevaluated. Everyone's just looking at Justin. Quarterback is a completely dependent position. Um, you're, you're relying on 10 other people, and uh, you can't do it by yourself. And, uh, and he, he showed in our game what he was capable of with his legs. He never got to do that at Oregon until the Rose Bowl. I mean, so it was really like a two-game sample, Rose Bowl and Senior Bowl, where you could really see Justin take off and be what he can really be. And then uh, to see what he did this year as a rookie with no offseason, you know, no training camp. He literally wasn't 
he did not know he was playing in the first game of the year until two minutes before kickoff <laughs> when the you know the team doctor punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung with a shot. Um, and he gets thrown into the game, and then he's off rolling. So the guy didn't even have – I mean, the circumstances that he had leading up to his rookie year and to have the season he had, it's, it's incredible. Well, Jim, on that subject, uh, you're talking about having all the talent around you. Always one thing that I love about the Senior Bowl, you always have players from small schools, from non-FBS schools who show out, and they really elevate their draft stock and show what they had and kind of in terms of being misevaluated. Which player do you think from a non-FBS school really showed out over the week and is someone that we're going to see in the NFL for a long time? Well, Dylan Radins, the left tackle from North Dakota State, won the overall practice player of the week. So that's – that's a slam dunk. That just tells you right there he's the best player from, from Tuesday to Thursday. Um, he's going to start for a long time in the league, probably make multiple Pro Bowls. Um, you know, and then Quinn Miners from Wisconsin Whitewater. I mean, how can you not point to him? He's a, he's a Division three player, which is really like glorified high school football. It's like really, really good high school football. And he comes down here. He didn't have a season. He didn't play. He's never snapped a ball in his life between his legs in a live setting. He's, he's done it on the practice field. But it, it's a lot harder to, like, snap a ball, get your snap hand up, and sustain a block. So for him to come down here and do that against the best of the best from all the Power Five conferences and against a bunch of dudes that are going to go in, you know, the first, second, third round of the draft, I mean, it's, it's incredible. So, um, I mean, those two guys stand out. But David Moore from Grambling, same deal. Never played center in his life. Came down here and did it. Got voted practice player of the week for his squad. Um, you know, out over Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. I mean, that's that's incredible. So um, I think that speaks for itself as well. His peers and Alex had a really good week. Alex had a great week. Um, but the fact that the guys on that D line voted David Moore um, the offensive lineman of the week. I mean, shoot, that's that's ridiculous. Well, uh, Jim, also wanted to ask you um, on that same subject, now that we've had this change in, you know, the North and the South, and it's now to American and National, how are you going to pair the teams up? It's not going to be a regional thing anymore. Is it going to be more just looking at competitive balance? It's always been a competitive balance for me. I mean, I didn't, there's not a rule book when you get the senior bowl job on how to do things, so – kind of kind of get to do your put your own stamp on it and uh, to me competitive balance is absolutely the number one thing um, you know the second thing was trying to keep teammates together on the same team uh, I didn't want to have a situation where we got five Notre Dame guys down here and, and three are on one team and two are on the other and you got a bunch of Notre Dame fans like trying to figure out who to root for on game day um, and then the last thing was we, we really wanted to keep the SEC guys on the uh, on the, on the South team, which is now the American team, we'll continue to do that. Uh, you know, like our, in terms of our drivable fan base to the game, it's, it's SEC heavy, so we'll continue to do that. Uh, but the competitive balance part is always going to drive this thing. Do you feel like there's more – I think you and I talked about this when I first got on the Senior Bowl committee. You're focused more on getting the best players now than getting the local players. Do you feel like there used to be a focus on going more local – than almost anything else and maybe ignoring some of the better players nationally and you're focused more on just getting the best people you can for the game? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why or how things were done in the past at some point, but, um, yeah, it's about getting the best players. I don't I don't care what school they go to. 
Um, yeah, there was there was a local flavor here in the past, but this has become a draft event, guys. You know, it's not. This isn't. This isn't the way it's. This isn't the way it's always been. Um, this is a draft event first and foremost. It's for the NFL. It's for these players. Um, so yeah, is it great when we have local guys in the game? Absolutely. We've loved having the Michael P. Ryan and Kadarius Tony and Michael Carter this year from Pensacola and Leatherwood. That's great. Um, but we're not going to force local guys into the game that don't belong in the game. That's just that's just not the right thing. Um, you know, this is a draft. This is a draft event. This this draft thing has become serious business. Fifty five million people watch the draft, and if we're not bringing the best players down here for the NFL to see, we're not doing it right. In my, you know, like that's just the way I look at it. So, um, and again, also, if we're giving invites to you know anyone that plays at Alabama or Auburn. If you're one of the really good players at those schools and you see some, if you see backup players or, or guys that aren't really good pro prospects getting invites, why are you coming? You know what I'm saying? Like players know players. They know. Like if, if we're inviting, you know, someone in Alabama that's a down the line free agent prospect and we try to get Devontae Harris and Najee, you know, Devontae Smith and Najee Harris here, why would they come if they didn't think this was an elite event? So that's what it's all about. We're trying to get the best players wherever we can. It doesn't matter what the helmet is. Well, Jim, on that note, what do you think allows um, players in pro football from smaller colleges to seem like they can have a lot of success at the next level, you know, in contrast to basketball on the college level where it seems like unless you usually play at like a, you know, a name brand school, you know, a lot of times you're not going to go on to stardom. Like, what, what do you think allows guys to have that Hollywood-esque story in football? Uh, that's a good question. I haven't thought a lot about that, but uh, you know, I think there's a lot of flaws in the recruiting system to this day. Um, you know, there's still guys that, that, that fall through the cracks. I think that football is a is a big, fast sport. Big, you know, big, big, strong, fast, tough sport. And uh, you know, guys guys hit their peaks at different times. So you got you got late boomers. You know, you got guys like Dylan Radins, who we talked about before. Um, Spencer Brown was another guy this year from Northern Iowa. Coming out of high school, he was six foot eight, two hundred and fifteen pounds, and played eight man high school football in Iowa. You know, <laughs> Alabama's not really going after that guy. You know what I'm saying? Um, so now, but fast forward four years, and now he's three hundred and fifteen pounds, and he's you know he's going to be a day two player. So um, I just think football lends itself to that. You know, guys guys put in the work, and um, and again, thing about football, like they come in all shapes and sizes, whereas in basketball. You're really looking at a prototype. You've got to be over six three. You got, you know, you have to be a certain level of an athlete with football, with all the different positions and, and job requirements of those positions. Um, it allows for it allows for smaller school guys to kind of rise up and, and uh, you know take advantage of those four years in college. Jim, uh, you got to see. Uh, I know you didn't play in the game, but you talked about Devontae Smith. What do you think of how he's going to be as an NFL player, and, and what's how's his finger? Is that going to be something that, that he can get over in the next year, or is that going to be a lingering concern for him? Uh, no, finger's going to be fine. That's not a question at all. Um, Devontae's an unbelievable prospect, and I've said it in, in my 25 years of doing this, like he might be the best college receiver I've ever seen, um, everything told. Now, there's a difference between college and pro. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of really good – and that's what's hard to like – we talked – about bringing in local players like that's the hard part for some people is like to not to understand the difference between being a really good college football player mm-hmm. and a really good pro prospect they're, they're two independent things um for Devonte, i think he's going to be a really good pro i think teams that are caught up in his weight 
you know, he's like 168, 170 pounds. Um, he stayed durable for four years in the SEC. So I teams that put too much weight in that, they're I think they're 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 not on the right mindset on that. So um, the great thing is with Devontae, like at one point in the year, you know, you had you took the two first rounders off the field last year. Jalen Waddle gets hurt. Um, and Devontae still does his thing. And a lot of that has to do with Sark creating great game plans. Um, part of that has to do with, with Mac putting the ball in the money. But but Devontae, and I said this last year with, with Ruggs and Judy and Waddle and, and Smitty, Smitty's the best all-around receiver of the group. I don't care if you're talking about releases, top of the route, separation, catching the football, running after the catch. Like He does that. If you put all that together, he's the best one. So I think he's going to have a great NFL career. Um, you know, will his slight size, you know, scare some teams a little bit? Probably. Um, but those guys are overthinking it. You know, I think, I think Devontae is going to be a great pro. Jim, speaking of like being great pros, is Najee Harris kind of what NFL teams are looking for now? He's not really your typical every down back, but he just catches the ball so well. Is that kind of the way the running back position is more lately? Yeah. I mean, I, I would argue there, I think he is. He, I think he is exactly what everyone's looking for in every down back. He's a 230-pound man that can leak out by the backfield, catch the football. He made some ridiculous adjustments down the field this year, contested plays, catching the ball. Uh, he's one of the few guys that looks better without his pants on than with his pants on. <laughs> I mean, he was down here. I mean, he's, re, he's, he's a complete specimen. So um, I think Najee coming down here, his uh, ankle coming out of that national championship game was the size of a grapefruit of guys. I mean, his agents took a picture of it and sent it to me, and it was gross. Like, I didn't think he had any way of getting on the field down here. And he comes down, he gets on the practice field for two days and does what he can do. Um, you know, we put him, we talked about not wanting to spit up, split up teammates. I mean, it just made sense to put him with the Dolphins team away from those other guys because Carolina, this is a draft event, like I just said. The Carolina Panthers have Christian McCaffrey, so why would we stick Najee Harris with a team that has Christian McCaffrey? Mm -hmm. um, so, he's, you know, he spent the week with the Miami Dolphins. He benefited greatly. Uh, Coach Flores and their staff got to spend a ton of time with him. And uh, so it was a great, great showcase for Najee. Um, they got a feel for him, and he got a feel for them. And uh, we'll see what happens in April. But I think it speaks to, like, how Najee's wired. He probably had a lot of people telling him not to come and not to participate. Um, but he's just – he's a competitive dude. So when I called him um, to talk about coming to the game, he was like – he's like, man, I'm all in. I'm coming down there to keep my butt off. And, and that's just who he is. So uh, it was great having him here. All right, Jim. Well, uh, we really enjoyed having you on. The last thing I want to ask you is what are you going to do for next year's Senior Bowls? You got any plans to kind of switch it up? And what are you looking at for uh, for next season to have an even better Senior Bowl? Well, we certainly hope we're out of COVID mode. <laughs> um, you know, the, hard, the hardest part this year was, I mean, frankly, I got to say this while I'm on your podcast, like our staff at the Senior Bowl, like people around the country might think we're this huge operation. It's myself and four people in the office. Yeah. So to pull off an event where we're flying people in from all over the country, which has never been done. I mean, the PGA Tour is the only thing even close, and they're flying, they're flying in on private jets. Um, so for for our, for our, you know, group to, to be fluid with this thing, get everyone here, administer over 3,600 COVID tests and with one positive and get through this week the way we did, um, it was phenomenal. And we have great committee support. We have great support staff help. Um, but, you know, it was hard to cut those other events this year, but we had to do it. 
It was all about practice in the game this year. If we would have focused on all the other stuff, the event wouldn't have happened, period. Um, so, the, the, you know, we didn't want to have a gap year. We wanted to fill those hotels. We wanted people eating out at our restaurants and, you know, feeding the, feeding the mobile economy. Did it look exactly like prior years? No, there's no way it could. Um, but at least the, at least people were in Mobile and there was an influx of people. We're going to get back to exactly like what we did the year before. You know, we're going to get back to the, the Players Parade, the Mardi Gras Parade, the concert downtown, the Summit event. Um, so we got big plans. But the great thing is I told our staff when we met on Monday, like, let's not go into this year thinking we're going to do everything the same. Like, we have to evolve every year. I look at this thing like a like a football team. You know, you, you can win the Super Bowl one year, but you're not going back with the same team next August. Like, it's a completely different team. It's a completely different season. So that's how I, that's how I want to run this thing at the Senior Bowl is, like, let's be open-minded. Let's think outside the box. Let's add events that make sense. Let's take away ones that don't work. But let's keep trying to grow this thing. Uh, we are so far from where we want to be um, from a, is in terms of being a national event. We need to let fans know from around the country that, like, Mobile is the place to be. Um, you know, I think I've done a lot of research on this, calling around to different blog sites and everything for these NFL teams and college teams. People have always thought the Senior Bowl was for the media and for the NFL, and it's not. It's it's an incredible fan event. So we're going to keep trying to sell that message. Um, you probably saw a lot of things on TV here locally with different PSAs and promos we've done. Um, that's the goal moving forward is to grow this thing out. So we got people from all across the country you know, feeding into our local economy for that week and not just the NFL teams and not just the media. Well, that's great. Well, that's an inspiring message moving forward, Jim. And I look forward to seeing you at events next year, actually being at Senior Bowl events and doing like it yeah. was in the past. And uh, thank you very much. And, yeah, man. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll have some. That's right. <laughs> we'll have you on again, Jim. Thank you very much. Yeah, guys. Appreciate you having me on.